Hey everyone, welcome uh, to the Well Standard Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe. I'm joined by my good friend Brad Gibb, and we are going to be discussing the three wealth destroyers today and why all of us are exposed to all three. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. So there's a saying by Mayor Rothschild that says, give me control of a nation's money, and I care not who is in power. So Brad, what do you think what do you think Mr. Rothschild meant by that? First off, who are the Rothschilds? Well, uh, if you if you're not aware of the Rothschilds, you need to become aware of them. They they created what more or less became one of the first banking almost a cartel. Yep. I mean, they really in the most powerful countries at the time, in 1700s, they were really in charge of all of the major central banks. Yep. There's a cool book called The Five Men from Frankfurt, and it's the story of the Rothschild family and kind of how they came how they came to power. And the book for a long time was out of print. And uh, and then somebody figured out a way to, to take that old print and turn it into kind of a new bound book. So you can get that on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But it's a Five Men from Frankfurt talks about the kind of the, the beginnings of lending and the beginnings of kind of bank and market manipulation. So it's a yeah. very very intriguing, very intriguing story. So what do you think what do you think uh, the Ross what do you think he meant by this saying? Well it it it's a powerful statement because what a lot of people don't realize is money is at the center of, of everything that we do. Every transaction has money on one side of it. Mm-hmm. So what what the Rothschilds realized was if you can control money, you can control and influence virtually every everything. transaction that, that we undertake. Yep. Okay. Well said. Well said, Mr. Gibb. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk. Uh, we're going to hit on that today. I mean, I I, I really want to get into these three wealth destroyers. One of which is inflation, which has a lot to do with with banking. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything to do with with banking. Uh, the the second wealth destroyer is taxes, and the third wealth destroyer is fees. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, if if you guys are are new tuning in new uh, and you have not listened to or watched our wealth summit. Uh, that we did just a while back. Definitely check that out. So we we co-hosted a an event called the Virtual Cash Flow Wealth Summit, and we had uh, thirty speakers. Really cool presentations. Uh, there's only about three weeks left to actually go in and watch those videos on demand for free. So go to uh, cashflowwealthsummit.com. You can register, and then you just need your email address to log in. And in there, I did a presentation, and I gave an example on uh, some calculators that we use about these three wealth destroyers. So go and go and check that out. I think you'll be uh, very surprised. And we will discuss some of that today in theory, uh, but the actual practical impact of these three wealth destroyers. Good example is that video. Did you get a chance to watch that one? Yeah. And and to see the way Patrick went through and and kind of quantify the impact of it is is mind blowing. And I see this stuff every day. I mean, I, I'm I'm in all of this. And it's still when you put that up there, I was just I, I was blown away. So for sure, check that out because we won't be able to do the visual side of it here, obviously, on the podcast. So so that that is a, a really good place to, to, to see that impact. Cool. All right. So let's, let's talk first about inflation as we kind of got into to banking. So first, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think all of us have heard the word inflation. Mm-hmm. There's very few that actually know what it means and, and the real impact. Most people associate it with something that's good, right? right? And it's good for some people, Right, but it's the ones that actually cause inflation that it's good for. Everybody else, it sucks, right? Because we, you know, you said every on every side of a transaction is is money or currency, 
right? And we work for that currency, right? Mm-hmm. We have to go and and uh, and put in a long day to receive remuneration, receive money to go out and spend. When prices go up, right, which is inflation, mm-hmm. when prices go up, we don't like that because now we have to work harder to pay for the stuff that you know took less effort previously. And in theory, you look at just our modern era and technology and efficiency, so many things are going down in value just because of technology. Mm-hmm. But yet there's this initiative out there to increase prices. I mean, it's plain as day in the Federal Reserve statements, but you know, hardly anybody reads those. But if you look at it, they want inflation. They want prices to go up. So we're we're so there's this dichotomy, right? We yeah. want prices to go down because it helps us do more with our money, okay? But yet there's an initiative out there putting put on by the Federal Reserve and banks and our government to have inflation. So what where's the dichotomy? Like what's what's going on? What what's good? What's bad? What's the truth? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, <laughs> embedded information. There's really a lot going on in the statement you just made because we've been taught that inflation is what is the equivalent of stable prices and what what we can build a stable economy on. Now, the weak, to me, weak argument behind that is if prices aren't going up and even worse, if prices are going down, then you're not going to spend any money because you're going to wait until it's cheaper tomorrow. So in order to stimulate the economy and keep it moving forward, we need these prices to slowly increase to sort of spur oh, okay. us to take money out of our pocket and, and buy things. Good point. So that's, that's at least the argument behind why it's good for us that okay. we have increased prices. Yep. But we ignore that fact that to get that money, we had to work. And normally when you save and set something aside, you should be rewarded for that good behavior. But now we're penalized. Right. And we wonder why nobody's saving any money and nobody has any reserves and we're all in debt up to our eyeballs. Well, if we have to spend all of our money to get the stuff before it goes up in value, that that makes sense. That that's kind of a logical outcome. Yeah, very good point. To, to what we have. Yeah. So and, and you you made a really good point there, too, that and actually a, a healthy economy, prices should be going down. Yeah. Think about harvesting a bushel of wheat. A hundred years ago, you were swinging a sickle and doing it by hand yeah. and it took lots and lots of people to feed us now one guy on one combine can harvest enough to feed a whole city in a day well combines now can be operated remotely yeah you don't have to have drivers have to have anymore so the the amount of stuff that we can produce in a day's work has gone exponentially through the roof yep. yet we have to pay more for it yep. so the big question i mean in this idea of wealth stealers where's that difference going if it if the price should be going down but it's going up there's we've created this gap okay and where's that money going so where's it where is it going well think about that for a second i mean what who who is the beneficiary of that of, of that gap in prices the people that get the money first right? yes okay. exactly so who gets the money first so and, what is, and let's use an example yeah so the people that get the money first are one of two groups of people it's either the government themselves because they can borrow directly from the Federal Reserve. I don't know about you. I, I can't walk up and borrow from the Federal Reserve directly. Nobody, I mean, nobody but a few people can, right? Or yeah. a few groups. So the two groups and actually can actually go to the Federal Reserve and get money are banks and government. It's government. Okay. Yep. So the government gets the money. They get to hire workers. They get to build roads. And the Rothschilds. Well, kidding. yeah, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> and a few other select people there that I'm sure have a backdoor <laughs> to it, Goldman Sachs. But um, so, so the government can take the money and spend it now, right now. while it's valuable. Yep. 
But then by the time the money they spent in Washington, D.C. gets to your pocket, it's changed hands multiple times and been devalued all the way until you get it and, and it's worth something less. So yep. they got the benefit first. Yep. Now, banks are the same way. They can borrow from it, make investments now while the investments are low or, or lend and, and do their transactions. Same thing. They get it while it's still valuable today before it works its way into the general economy. Because when money is is printed or zeros are created in bank accounts, nothing really happens to prices. The money has to begin to then circulate into the economy before the prices, before so everybody realizes, yeah. wait, there's more of this currency going around than there was so before. So let's, ba- let's back up and, and talk to the, the seven-year-old about, about how this works. Because this is, I mean, we, we study this and we've had these discussions a million times but you know, there's a there's a saying by John Maynard Keynes, who is kind of the father of, of Keynesian economics. Uh, not we're not get off on that tangent, but he basically said that not one person in a million understand how banks and banking works. So if that's true, if it was true then, it's definitely true today. Because today, you know, despite what we consider more a more educated population. We're, I think, we're dumber than we were well, what, collectively, dumber than we were. What years was the ago. video you had me gawking at yesterday? I just, I oh, yeah. could not <laughs> believe. Well, it's not just that. I mean, I, I did, a, I did an interview with, um, with, with Fundrise, who's a, you know, a, a crowdfunding, uh, commercial real estate crowdfunding company, and I was just kind of preparing for, for a few things that they were going to be asking me, and so I went in and I started to research just, you know, just the, the, the intelligence associated with our current, our current population our current society. And the Wall Street Journal probably did the best job uh, in January. They wrote an article that talked about the competency of college graduates, which was at all-time lows. And it makes sense. It's like yeah. supply and demand. You have an, a massive amount of students going into college, right? And you just have a... Dil- You're a diluting a, it Yeah, because colleges yep. these days are entertaining. They're entertaining people more than they're teaching, yeah. right? So anyway, um, so I started getting into that. Then I found this video... Uh, by it was Mark Dice, I think it is who yeah, it was. D I C E Dice. So Mark Dice, uh, he's I think it's like a he's part of the Sound Money movement or something like that. But it's a YouTube video. It's fascinating, and so he's so Mark Dice is standing outside of this coin shop in California, and he has this uh, this Canadian maple leaf, and it's a fifty dollar you know fifty fifty dollar face value, um, but an ounce of gold right is worth fifteen sixteen hundred bucks. So Mark Dice goes out into the street right in front of the coin shop, and he's basically saying, "Hey, uh, he's he's going up to people and saying, I need to pay my cell phone bill, or I need to, you know, I need to pay my electric bill, or, mm-hmm. or whatever." He's like, "Would you buy this, you know, fifty dollar coin for me for twenty bucks?" And, <laughs> and, and people and said, "There was no. like dozen people that like, no, you know, no, I'm not interested." And he's like, "Well, y- you might be able to go over there and sell it for more." Yeah, and I was amazed that. I mean, we know that you and I know, and most of us listening know yeah. that the $50 face value has nothing to do with the actual value, right? Intrinsic value versus face value. But they wouldn't even buy it at a discounted face value. Yeah. It just was amazing yeah. to me. Yeah, and, so, and it, was even, it was funny that one of the examples, um, he said, okay, well, I'm not going to give it to you anymore. Um, but do you know that this is worth $1,500? And he's like, ah, no, it's not. That's, that's not true. Yeah, I mean, I don't you, believe people you. are like, I don't believe you. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> anyway. So, All right, so the point, the point yeah. here is we need to talk to the seven-year-old because it, most individuals are just oblivious to, to what's going on financially, right? And, and so looking at this idea of, of inflation, let's make it really, really, really simple. 
Okay, so the easiest thing is you put money. So we we're 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 accustomed to to think we need to go and deposit our paycheck, our deposit our savings into a bank, mm-hmm. right? So you do that, right? It electronically deposits. It goes into the to the bank. Okay, so it's in the bank now. Now, what is that money to the bank? It's your money, right? Mm-hmm. You earned it. You worked for it. You want them to kind of hold it for safekeeping. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you put it. You put it there. What is that money to the bank? Why is the bank willing to do that? Why does a bank, what purpose does it, does it serve, right? Because they're going to take your money, mm-hmm. but how are they so big? How are they so profitable? How are they so influential? Okay. If all they're doing is holding your money, yeah. right? So you deposit it there. It's now in their vault. What is it to specifically accounting wise? What is it to them? So it's your asset, right? On your balance sheet Yep. to them it's a liability. It's something that they have to then pay back to you. Yeah. Which makes the question even stranger. Well, why would they take on liabilities? If they had to, yeah, if they had to right. pay, pay back. And if you rewind more than a hundred years ago now, banks used to charge you to hold, the to money. hold money yep. because they had to protect it, right? Yeah. It was, it was gold coins yeah. and they had to put it in a vault yep. and higher security and all that. And so they had to, they charged you yep. to pay for it. Now they're paying you to bring on this liability, which yep. again, makes us confused. But what that money allows the bank to do is I think most people listening have heard of the money multiplier. There's a rate at which the bank can hold that money sort of like a reserve Mm -hmm. and then lend based on how much they have in deposits. So they get to take those deposits and it started out where they could take your deposit and just lend your deposit. Yeah. So you put in $100, they could lend $100. Now the rules have been relaxed to where Mm -hmm. we have fractional reserve banking. Meaning those reserves, they only have to hold a fraction of them. About 10%, sometimes less. Yep, it's it's right around 10%. So so, so let's back up. mm -hmm. I don't want to go get into the weeds and get confusing. So you put put your money in there. You work for it. Mm -hmm. Your employer pays you. You put money into the bank. You created that, right? How did you create it? You created it because you did something. You worked, worked. You provided a service. And you had an employer, somebody willing to pay you for that. You created, you actually created a tangible value in the economy, right? Right. Then you deposit it there. And now the bank, essentially, because of how the the rules work, they can lend almost all of it. So you put $1,000 in there, they can lend to somebody almost another $1,000. Is that, is that their money or your money? It's just new money. It's new money. Right, they lend that. That money was created out of thin air. But what value was added to the economy? Zero, none. Now, looking at looking at that, it's it's mind boggling to think of that. It's like, how, well, that doesn't make that doesn't. Make, if we were to counterfeit, like if we were to just print our own money, right, we go to we go to jail, right? But yet they have this permission slip that enables them to take everything that you have essentially and double it. Yep. And or, and then all, and they earn it, it they, and they get 10. all the interest off of it, yeah. right? They get all the benefit, they get all the interest off of it. And what do they give back to you? They give you back some services, right? They mm-hmm. give you back, um, you know, a, a, an app for your phone, right? Yeah. They give you convenience, you know, convenience. Cash yeah, around. you can use yeah. a card, right? Mm-hmm. And the technology and the the, the protection from um, you know fraud and, and it, sure. it, it, I mean, it, there's there's services there, right? But looking at what banks use to pay for that, it's 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 mind-boggling when you think of that. So what does that have to do with inflation? Yeah, so right? let's connect so that's, it. That's the whole point, right? So banks, that's how banking works. You put money there, they can take almost all of it and give it to somebody else. 
Yeah. Great. Creating brand new money in the economy. Right. And then they get paid back with interest. Yeah. So let's make the connection on, again on a seven year old level back to why that creates inflation. So let's take an economy, make it very simple. You and me, we're on a desert island and all around are coconuts. Okay. So if there are 10 coconuts and you have five and I have five, and let's say there are 10 monetary units, dollars in the economy. Okay. If we were going to begin transacting, yep. how much would each coconut cost? 10 coconuts, $10. Yeah. A dollar, dollar each. Dollar right? each. That's what they would be. Yep. Now let's say we take the $10 and we increase them without increasing the coconuts. Yeah. We increase them to $20. Yeah. We just made leaves of money. Yeah. Whatever. We <laughs> cut all the coins in half and we call them the same thing. Yeah. Now there's $20, yeah. but still 10 coconuts. Yep. How much does each coconut cost? 50 well, two dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, a double. That's yeah, right. The other, Got it. So, so because if we introduce money without introducing value, yep. then the price has to go up because there's the same number of goods, yep. but there's more money chasing it. Got it. So when the bank takes your value yep. and then lends it out without creating any value, yep. there now are more dollars chasing the same number of goods. Okay, great example. That's a that's an awesome example. So that's so that's effectively what's going on. Yep. And if you trace back this this charade, mm-hmm. right, for the last hundred years, inflation is you know between three and and six percent, right? You go to like CPI mm-hmm. and it's about three point three or something like that, <clears throat> but. CPI has been manipulated, right? CPI is a consumer price index. Yeah. And basically what, you know, whoever governs that's a government, right? Go figure. Right. It creates this index and they can, they've put stuff in, taken stuff out and kind of manipulated yeah. it to kind of keep it at that level. Yeah. But, you know, John Williams and Shadow Stats has done, you know, if, if CPI was what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago, inflation would be six, 7% or higher. Higher. Yeah. So what he means by the CPI is they took a basket of goods, like a hundred things you buy on a regular basis and they just tracked the price of it over time. So it's like an index yep. of just stuff that you buy. Yep. But as, as it got out of whack from what the government wanted it to be, they're like, oh, we're going to take that thing out. Like something you don't use very often, like energy, yeah. right? We don't use that very often. So let's take that <laughs> out because it's messing it up and we want yeah. it to be within a very specific range. Yep. And shadow stats, what they, they just went back and said, well, if we use the same measurement we were using however long ago, then it's completely different than what it is. So that, that's what the CPI is in case... Yeah. Yeah. So, so you look at like, okay, go back a hundred years and you look at CPI being, you know, three, let's say it's three and a half percent per year. And this is the example I used in in my presentation. It doesn't seem like a lot, but that, that CPI year after year after year compounds, it compounds and dilutes, not just the year before. Okay. But that current year, and now you have the following year, the third year, it dilutes three years. So it's, it compounds out of control and a dollar, you know, or what money would have grown to is diminished by, you know, almost 90, I think it was like 80, 80, 90% or something like that. So go back and look at that, that video, if you want reference to that. But that's the thing is these wealth destroyers, this isn't happening one time. Mm -hmm. It's happening year after year after year after year. And it's compounding and diluting the value of what you're trying to put aside. And this is important to everybody because we're taught to save our money in a bank, right? Put this aside and, and do those things. We're taught to, I mean, all of the media that we get about money is based in this idea that we need inflation and we need to be spending. And and so if you buy into that and you follow along with it, then your wealth is being destroyed yep. systematically every single year. Okay. So, 
so banking banks are are one of the parties that have access to this you know this mm-hmm. benefit and it's a it's a huge benefit i wish okay. i could have it yeah <laughs> so then then you have um you know you also have investment banks that mm-hmm. and investment banks are a little bit different right because these are not necessarily depository banks uh for time deposits right mm-hmm. Uh, which are sh- more short. Some some are short term. So you have demand deposits, which are kind of like checking accounts, and you have time deposits, which are uh, more of your CD, you know, certificate of deposit accounts. But the inv- investment banks who set up mutual funds and ETFs and and uh, you know bond funds, they also have access to, to, to mm-hmm. this. So it's not just your deposits uh, or depository banks. And now you have kind of this you know collusion between. Because uh, some like J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, and I mean they're they're not only depository banks, but they're investment banks as well, right? And Glass-Steagall, which was a, a law that was passed back during the Great Depression when the whole market collapsed, okay, it was created right to separate this idea, yeah. right? Because it's what led to the big bubble up to 1929 and the subsequent crash and the subsequent Great Depression. So Glass-Steagall, yeah, it, it, it was meant to separate your deposits from entering exactly this inflationary speculative type. Of environment. Yeah. Well, it was, it was also to, to prevent, you know, the investment bank idea and their inclusion in this whole, this right. idea. But then Glass-Steagall was repealed, right? And it was repealed. I'm not, we're not getting to those, right. those laws, but, but essentially the, those that have access to it are not just restricted to uh, banks, depository banks. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you also have, you know, investment banks and these big Wall Street firms that have access to it as well. All right, and then who knows who who else? Because we don't audit the Fed, but the the, the soft audit that was done, um, it's been about two years, I think. Uh, they they I mean the Fed has money going everywhere throughout the world. Totally different, you know, yep. another, another story. But the idea is there's only select few that have access to this. They're the ones that are you know basically. Uh, perpetuating this idea of, of inflation, not just uh, domestically, but internationally. Okay, so who else has access to this this window, this this Federal Reserve benefit? Outside of banks, banks? and the government? Uh, government. Oh, okay. yeah. That okay. was what I was going to, oh, okay, is the gotcha. government. So, yeah. so how does the government have access to it? So you have these open market operations. How do How does the government have access to the Fed? I mean, that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense. Okay, why would the government need to just you know to do that? Government raises raises money through taxes, right? Why does the government need the Fed for more money? So th- there's actually still on the books a separation between. I mean, the the, the Treasury cannot print its own money to go spend. Yep. So there is a there is a at least on paper a separation there. But the way we get around it is the government doesn't have to tax us first mm-hmm. to then spend the money. That's yep. obvious because we're running a deficit. So that means somewhere the money is coming from. They have from to create the spent. deficit somewhere because they're spending exactly. more money than they're bringing in. So where is that? And that's been going on for a long time now. Where does that difference come from? Yep. So they can borrow it from you and me, right? We can give them our tax money and then give them extra money if we want to yep. and buy treasury bills. And we're loaning the government money, right? Okay. Uh, countries uh, all across the world, we hear about how much China holds of, of our debt and things like that. They're, yep. they're basically taking the money that we're transacting with them and then reinvesting it back into treasuries. Yep. So that's All a right. big section So let's explain it. What, a, what a government security is, right? Because okay. you have short-term, which are bills, T-bills, and you have medium-term, which is notes, and then you have long-term, which are bonds, Right. So you have all sorts of these, you know, short term, medium term and long term government securities. So what are those? Those are essentially loans. Yeah. Okay. You loan money, you give money uh, 
and so let's let's say it was me or you. Like you were, I was like, Brad, dude, I need I need ten grand. Give me ten grand, right? You're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna give you ten thousand dollars, but I want interest mm-hmm. as well. Okay, yep. so essentially, you know, I give you money or you give me money and I pay you back with with interest. Yep. Okay, it's a it's a loan. Same thing happens with the, the government. The government can basically create these loans and sell those loans to people. Right. right. So now, you know, China or India or uh, a pension fund or a, a bank now essentially gives the government money in exchange for a promise that says I mm-hmm. will pay you back with this type of interest. Right. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So what does the Federal Reserve have to do with it? If they're getting money from China, they're getting from money from India, yep. right? And they're giving, keep giving them money, then yep. why, you know, why do well, they need the, the Fed? Well, let, let's go back to the example of you and me, right? We've got a good relationship, so I might lend you $10,000. But then if you come back to me and say, do I, okay, I can make my interest payments. Here's $500 for interest on the 10000 but I need another $10,000. i would be like, I'd probably do it again. Okay, here's another ten. Yep. But if you came back to me time after time after time, and we're only making interest payments to me, and kept being like, dude, Brad, I need another 10 grand, I need this grand, I'd start to question, be like, when should I give you more money, right? Yeah. So the more somebody borrows, the less you want to lend to them. Yeah. And that's what's happening with the United States government, right? Everybody used to be totally comfortable with our, with our treasuries, our securities. Yep. And that's starting to wane a little bit. We hear about the BRIC countries trying to transact amongst themselves and not use the dollar as reserve yep. currency things. So we hear that kind of stuff. And that's telling people that, well, we're not trusting the United States quite as much. We don't know if they can pay everything back. So we're not going to borrow near as much. So there started to be a gap between what they could lend on the open market yep. and what they needed to meet their obligations, okay, so to meet their spending. So now let's go to the Fed. So so essentially, you have other com- countries, but now the Fed can buy tr- buy securities. Exactly. Okay. So the Fed can buy securities. So what does that mean? So the Fed, where do they get the money? <laughs> Yeah. So because with countries, right, countries that give money to the Fed, Federal Reserve, I mean, they've collected it in, in tax revenue. Mm-hmm. Right. So they give money to the to the government by by bonds, by notes, by by bills, T-bills. But the Federal Reserve, where did they get the money to, to buy government bonds? They printed it. They created it. It came it out of nowhere. Out of thin air. Out of thin air. So again, going to your coconut example, they're just increasing money supply, increasing money supply, increasing money supply. Yep. All right. So this is, uh, and the, but the, the difference is with the Fed, right? Uh, they refund, you know, they don't, they don't the, the interest isn't necessarily charged. They refund that back. So it's different, but still the money's created. Well, it, that's almost even worse because then yeah, it doesn't no hold kid. anybody accountable, exactly. right? It, an interest-free loan, yep. we learned in 2008, that probably wasn't a really great idea. No, so. And that this goes to the whole, like, why, you know, why our economy's in, in, Right. Probably in, in uh, on the brink of a transition because when all this money goes out there, people are like, oh, screw this. I'm gonna, I have this money here and this money here and, and I'm just going to spend and do whatever, right? Because it's so abundant, especially yeah. with banks. So that leads to malinvestment, right? Yeah. And malinvestment is typically where there's just all this money and people don't give a crap about risk. They're just invest, 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 invest. And eventually those investments, because they have risk, start to take a nosedive yeah. and then emotion sets yeah. in, sell off, sell off and yeah. – you know, or crash. A, a, a more poignant example to, to the average person, you know, somebody who's in their 50s 
trying to make it to retirement, they can't get a yield in treasuries. They can't get a yield in, in bonds of any kinds or CDs. So they're forced to take on more risk. So it's not even people that are flush with cash and I don't even care, which there's that. Mm-hmm. But the average mom and pop investor who doesn't want to take risk is forced to take risk yeah. because prices are going up, yeah. but their savings isn't increasing. Exactly. It's so actually going ha- down. So they have to take risk to get any type of earn earnings. on. So it. more people are jumping into the risk yep. area of the markets. And that's why this bubble is was so impactful. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's let's not get into the weeds. We still have two other wealth destroyers. Okay. This one is a huge, awesome. this one is a huge one that people don't just don't realize. But you have to to kind of step back and I guess a solution. We were going to try to get the solutions at the end. Um, but a solution is you need to educate yourself on why this exists and if it's going to continue to exist yep. and then what you can do about it. What assets um, fluctuate with with inflation? Right. What assets go up? Because the thing is, you can't go and, and sit, tell your, you know, your senator, your congressman, say, hey, I don't like inflation. You should help repeal. I mean, the <laughs> Federal Reserve. I mean, look, they've tried that a million times, yep. you know, and it, and it just it's not going to happen. Right. So it's going to this is just going to continue on. So you need to step back and say, OK, this is what I'm going to do about it, yep. because what people are investing in right now, savings is just getting it's getting destroyed because they're trying to get yield. But then it's eaten away by inflation, then it's going to be eaten away by fees, and then eaten away by taxes. So you're going to wind up with less than what you saved, which we'll, which we'll get into. Yep. But the, the idea for you listening is if you believe – either we're speaking out of our rear ends, and this is all just hocus pocus, mm-hmm. right? Or there's truth to this. You need to figure that out first. Yep. Okay, What's true and what's false? If it's true – then you need to step back and rethink your investment strategy. You need to rethink what you're doing with your money and start to look at things that, you know, produce income right now. Okay. Not 30 years down the road, because the money's not going to be worth anything then. Right now, producing income right now, an asset that increases in value, not because it's more valuable, but because there's inflation and yep. things are going up. So that, that makes you, you know, want to look at you know investments that over this 30 40 100 year cycle have also kept up with inflation yep well and we need to we, we talk about this all the time we need to change our thinking we need to think about money how a bank thinks about money yep. right we need to get the money and we need to learn how to utilize it mm-hmm. not save it yep. and so i mean it's not that savings is bad but we need to be thinking differently about how money works yep. and what it really is. Yep. And that will lead to, to the right decisions yep. to be able to protect it. And honestly, one of the other things too is and this, and no, most people hate to hear this because it is so against conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. Most people would associate, you know, gold and silver with the best investment hedge. And I guess there's, there's some value there. Okay. Because they're, they're right. But gold and silver prices and precious metal prices are still manipulated. Yep. Okay. But the biggest hedge for inflation is to do exactly what you said, exactly what banks and exactly what the government is doing, which is getting into more debt. Yep. Does it make sense? Now, it's not getting into debt to buy a boat or getting into debt to buy a car. It's getting into debt, using debt, using leverage to buy assets. Yep. But that's another another discussion. Yep. Okay. All right. So let's, that's the first wealth killer, inflation. And it is a massive, massive killer and destroyer. Um, and the next one is almost perfectly in line with it which is taxes. Okay. So if you go back to 1913, when the federal reserve was kind of created coincidentally, it's not a coincidence, but (laughs) most people think it's a coincidence is when the income tax was, uh, was, was created. Okay. So what is the income? What do do taxes have to do with destroying, destroying wealth? Why, you know, 
and have to do with you know the Federal Reserve and, and banking and, and inflation. So what's yeah. how do all how do those two things tie together? So I mean on a bigger level, and this is pontificating a little bit, but back to that idea of value, right? To grow an asset, we all know what compounding is and how that compounding curve works, but there has to be an assumption that there's a value continually being created over and over and over, and it compounds. But when the government takes our money, are they wise stewards of it? I mean, are they really productive with it? Are they investing it? Yeah. They're consuming it. Yeah. Well, right? the thing is, it's like if you if you earn money, you value it, right? Mm-hmm. You You blood, sweat, and tears, you earn that money, you value it. They don't earn that money. They don't do anything tangible to earn that money. Now, they may say, oh, you know, we help protect you. Yeah. We build roads or whatever. But yeah, the amount of money that's spent, it's mostly in consumption. Yeah. Okay. So that's one of the, the, I mean, the the kind of the bigger picture of why taxes destroy wealth. They just consume, they don't invest. But on your individual personal level, the reason that it ends up destroying it is that compounding curve requires you to leave everything in or a good portion of that in there. But every time you take money out of it, you're decreasing the rate at, at which your money is compounding. And okay. taxes take that money out of your pocket and out of your wealth creation side and ultimately... Yeah, so if, so if you could earn... Away. So what you're saying is if you could earn, let's say, 10% of your money, right? And every every single year, that's going to compound and grow over time. And you had planned on doing, you know, let's say $5,000 of, of investment, Okay, but now because you're taxed, you can only do four thousand dollars of investment. So right. now you're earning ten percent on four thousand instead of five thousand, and that is you know you can quantify that yeah. decrease over time. And it hits us multiple times. We earn our income when we pay taxes, then we invest and it grows when we pay taxes. So it's not even just one time. It's from at the very beginning when we create that value all the way through, it's being taken out of our pocket multiple times. Yeah. And it's and honestly, if you were to look at the list of taxes, we oh, we geez. had a group text <laughs> was a couple a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and and it was and I just took a snapshot. I mean, there was like seventy five taxes, different types of taxes on there. And I can I can only take a snapshot on my phone of like you know, 45. Yeah, it was alphabetical <laughs> and you got through like G and it filled up the whole screen of what you were texting. I mean, you're, so. we're taxed on everything and people don't realize like how that is bad. That's yeah. not a good thing. That is a bad thing. So, yeah. but at the end of it all, you know, because we're running out of time here, at the end of it all, there's not, there's not much you can do. You can put up a stink with your lawmaker, right. but what you can do is educate yourself. And mm-hmm. Tom Wheelwright, who's a good friend of ours and uh, wrote the book, Tax-Free Wealth, and also runs uh, Provision Wealth, which is you know an, an accounting firm and a wealth planning firm. They his his premise is amazing, which is the tax code is there not to restrict you, but to give you a guide map to not pay taxes. Yep. One of the best strategies, and it's amazing, Tom. You know, it's it's kind of the gold, it's kind of the gold thing. But Tom and I always have discussions, and he does you know consultations, and and uh, we've been in, in on different speaking events together, and he's meeting with a couple. And, you know, to work with Tom and work with his company, you know, it might be $25,000, $50,000. But what he does is he says, okay, he looks at their finances and says, okay, I'm going to be able to save you $100,000 next year on your taxes. Okay. But to work with us and to go through our processes and take advantage of our resources, it's going to be $50,000. People are like, oh, it's too too expensive. <laughs> it's and like, what? <laughs> I love Tom saying is that it's not about how much your accountant costs, it's how much... He well, what what's his phrase? It's not about how much you pay him; it's how much he costs you by exactly by you having to pay taxes. Exactly, because so. most accountants are just like afraid. It should be a return. They're afraid on of the IRS. They're afraid yep. of the government, and 
you know, Tom, Tom is just, how can we, how can all of my CPAs and how can all my accountants become as educated as possible so that we know the tax code frontwards and backwards. So that when a client comes in, the thousands of thousands and thousands of rules that's in the tax code, we can help them take advantage of those. So they pay less taxes to avoid what we're talking about right here, which is a massive, massive opportunity cost. Yeah. There's a very big difference between an accountant that is reporting how much tax you have to pay. That's what most people, they give you the box of receipts and they say, well, this is how much you owe. All they're doing is reporting for you yep. what, what you owe, where Tom's firm and, and CPAs that work like him are out there trying to help you plan to not have to pay them or restructure what you're doing so that it's – so there's a big difference between tax reporting and mm-hmm. tax planning. Yep. So taxes, again, it's a wealth destroyer and – you know, you look at, okay, I'm only paying 25, 30% taxes, but you start to add, you know, with, with income taxes, but then you add the state side of things and you add all of your consumption taxes and it, mm-hmm. it just, and then the Obamacare tax now on savings, it's just the medic, you know, the healthcare, yep. the healthcare tax. There's so much that just gets added and added, added. And the thing that boggled my mind um, was this whole gas thing. And I knew it was going to, I knew it was going to happen, right? Gas prices sank, you know, end of last year. Yep. Okay. It was, it was really cool to do that, but guess what? Every local government did almost every local government, they, because of their session being at the first part of the year, right? Utah, Utah did it. They threw in, okay, we need to increase the gas tax. Yeah. Okay. Cause people won't care now. Gases are, are at all time low. We yep. can throw in a little bit of gas tax here. No one's going to put up a stink and they all did it. Yep. And it's just one of it's, and they're always looking for more revenue and more revenue. More revenue is not the solution. Right. It's not the solution. Yep. They need to wipe out. They all, yeah, and, yeah. and there's a lot, there's a lot that you can't do about it, right? We can't do anything about gas taxes. Nope. I mean, it's not like you're not going to drive, yep. but the ones that we can impact, that's what we need to structure. Rethink again. It's if we follow the, I mean, where's the traditional investment advice coming from? Yep. It's coming from wall street. And then it's all the government from the government, right? Because they're regulated by the government oversight committee. So, so the investment advice you're getting from them, do you think it's going to help you lower taxes or not? (laughs) Of course, it's going to put you right in their path. Yeah. And this is, you know, I was doing this fundraise interview yesterday and they're like, what's the, what's the one bit of advice like you would, you would give, you would give somebody. And I said, tax deferral is the worst piece of advice ever. (laughs) And that's the thing is, so think about like your 401ks, your IRAs, anything that defers taxes. It's kind of like, okay, the government kind of created this type of idea. So if the government has gotten everything else wrong, they got the post office (laughs) wrong, they messed up social security, you know, Solyndra, the DMV, you know, look at all the things that they've totally botched up. Do you really think that they got your retirement planning right? (laughs) Right. So the deferral, I mean, what what are we talking about here? You put money in now, you defer it 30 years in the future until you can use it, right? And so inflation kills it. Yep. And then who knows what taxes are going to be, right? And if the government, if that's their solution. They just keep taxing and taxing. And ta- you really think taxes are going to be lower in the future? Yeah. Well, some people think that taxes can't go any higher. I mean, it's so high, 40% at the highest rate. And Look that, at California. It's on, taxes are on California. sale right now, yep. right? And I mean, the high, we had sustained periods with both the, marginal lowest bracket and the highest bracket significantly higher than the, in yeah. the 70s and 80s it's and like 90%, 90%, 90%, 90% was a top marginal tax bracket so and that's the, where i think it was there's a saying that said that's when Ro- ronald reagan like, he, 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 he worked he, six months a year because he did no more than six well that's the saying the saying is that's when he went from a a, a, a flaming liberal to a, <laughs> a you know right-wing republican <laughs> not not to throw politics in but it was because of the tax side of things yeah 
Yep. All right. All right. We're, and then last thing is fees. Last one is fees. So, so we're trying to, what we're trying to do is just give you an idea of yep. how, you, how the traditional rhetoric, the traditional strategies yep. are eating away at your wealth. And they're not going to create prosperity. Maybe if 50, 60, 70 years ago, it would have worked. It's not working today. You need to rethink what you're doing. And the first thing is, is what I just said, think. You need to think. You can't rely on somebody else, right? Nobody's going to come to you and say, listen, my investment sucks and you're probably going to lose all of your money, right? Everybody's going to come to you with investment advice and say, you should do this and you should do that, thinking everything's going to work out. And that's not the case. That's not realistic. You need to start thinking about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then step back and say, okay, how are my, how is my plan, my strategy subject or exposed to these three wealth destroyers? Yeah. And you really need to look at where you're getting your advice as well, because I, not everybody has to go out and be sophisticated Warren Buffett type investors. Not, that's not going to be for everybody. But if you go to an advisor that only has products offered by Wall Street and only gives you government sanctioned solutions, it, it doesn't matter how smart that guy is his plan is going to be subject to these wealth destroyers. And that's the thing about fees that just makes me sick is we talked about the government betting from inflation and banks benefiting from inflation, right? The government is benefiting from taxes. Now you look at fees and it's both of them together colluding and saying, well, the government, I'm going to create this plan to tax, to get more taxes. And wall street's like, I'm going to promote that plan because I get more fees. Yep. Right. So there it's all set up for those two organizations or groups of people to win. And then you only win. You put in all the money, you spend all the time, you take all the risk. And only if there's something left over after taxes, inflation and fees hit, do you win? Yep. And it's, you know, it's kind of to end on this. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of our listeners know this. Um, and because we, we've been talking about it in, to, to nauseum. Yeah. <clears throat> but at the end, at the end of it all, a person knowing something and knowing it deep enough to actually make a change are two separate things. Yeah. Because we see a lot, I, I, you know, as you meet with, with, with uh, people and I meet with people and our team does, you know, a lot of people have a very similar philosophy. A lot of our clients have a lot of a very similar philosophy, but at the same time, it's not deep enough. The pain has not reached a deep enough level to actually make changes. Mm -hmm. And and that's just the nature of a human being. It's the bo it's the boiling frog, right? Which is until it's painful, which is typically too late, that's when a person makes a change. So that's the other thing too is is you know, you could you could bet you can hope, you can yeah. hope and you know, hope for this not to occur, right? But that's a, you know, it's it's a gamble. That is yeah. a, one of the biggest gambles that's out there is hoping that things are not going to play out as we're saying. Well, and as you mentioned, we have a lot of clients that come to us sort of already aware of this. Yeah. And I actually think the one of the scarier things is, is people think they're doing the right thing because they have a few gold bars or they have, instead of getting regular treasuries, they buy tips, right? Yep. So they they think, oh, no, I'm protected by that. Yep. And they've only papered over it, they, but they put a Band-Aid on it. What really has to change to, and, and once you get to that level of motivation, it's not just, oh, I'll, I'll put a couple things in my portfolio to help offset a little bit of that. Well, the fees are still there, right? The taxes are still there. You have to be willing to think about changing the entire system that you operate, right? It has to go to a systematic level. It's not, we're going to change which mixture you have in your mutual fund and bond portfolio. It has to be, what system am I participating in? Yep. And that's interesting. And this will be my final point. 
you know, there's a lot of documentaries that have come out that have exposed a lot of this stuff. And there was one particular, I'm not going to mention it. I don't want to, you know, call anybody, but it's a, but it was a, a very, it was a fascinating, it was awesome. And it talked just about, you know, a lot of the fraud that happened in 2008, 2009, the downturn and how Wall Street did this and they did this. But I was listening to their podcast the other day and it's like, <laughs> it was still 401k IRA, yeah, but you need to put stuff. your money with us and we're going to charge you less. Yeah. So it wasn't, it was maybe taking away the fee side of things. Or reducing right? it. But you're still, you're still the other two wealth destroyers that are associated with it. Yep. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. You know, we, we've, this is something that we, we love to talk about just because it's so, it's so pervasive and we, we see it, but it's with our eyes and we understand that something may be staring you in the face and right in front of you. But if you have the, if you do not have the right perspective and the right eyes to see it, you're not going to see it. So hopefully this is, you know, maybe awoken some people to give you an idea of some things to think about and things to question. And hopefully it, it benefits you in the end. Uh, but check out, you know, the, the uh, cashflowwealthsummit.com where the, the presentation I gave talks a lot about this and gives kind of a, a calculator and some visual, you know, visual analysis of what we talked about today. And uh, let us know if we can uh, answer any questions. You can reach us at info at paradigmlife.net or you can go to our website, paradigmlife.net and submit a question or an inquiry. Uh, We're also very active on Facebook and blogging, so you can make comments there. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. All right, that's it for today. Brad, you're a stud. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. It was fun. Okay, I'll talk to you guys next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Thank you for listening.